0: This is our last sermon in this little sub-series called If, and it's based on 2 Chronicles 7.14. If my people, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven, I will forgive their sin, and I will heal their land. So we've been kind of walking through the first part of that verse up until now, the last three weeks, and then today we're going to talk about turning from your wicked ways. Sounds pretty fun, huh? Um, and then I will hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and heal their land. We're also going to talk about that a little bit as well. But turning from our wicked ways, as I was studying this passage that um, Mariah just read, it really has to do with repentance. right? Turning from your wicked ways means turning from something to Jesus. Uh, in this case, they're not necessarily turning from something wicked. like this is their business, their family business but they turn from it to follow Jesus. Repentance is simply turning from anything, good or bad, to follow Jesus. Repentance gets a bad rap. We'll talk about that as we're kind of walking through this morning. Like, no one's excited about repenting. You don't form churches on, let's repent. Uh, just because it has to do with people think that, I've got to be holy, I've got to be this, I've got to be that, and I've got to clean up some behaviors. We'll talk about that this morning. But as I was reading this passage, there were two fears that crept up, like very, very stark and stunning fears. And the the first fear that I have is that there might be people here who have not repented. You think you have, but you haven't. And the Bible is just very clear that this is like the most dangerous place. Unless we repent, we won't see eternal life. We won't see Jesus in the afterlife. And there may be some of us that think, yeah, I, I emotionally, I had this thing or I did this to please people or whatever. I repented, but you really haven't. And I would be remiss and I'd be a horrible pastor if I were to say, yeah, you're, you're fine, you're going to heaven if you haven't repented. So that's the first fear that came up. And the second one is kind of the, the mirror of that. There are people who, here who have repented And yet you walk around with all this false guilt. You walk around like, oh man, I need to repent more. I need to do this. I need to do that. And you have this false guilt and you have this false idea that I haven't repented. Somewhere in all of this, this morning, I want for you to hear from God. That's what people did back then. Jesus said, follow me. And they turned and they did that. They turned from their wicked ways. They turned from their business and repented. So... The main thing is that a person cannot repent unless they hear the voice of Jesus. Uh, A person cannot drop their nets unless they have the call to follow Jesus. So I'm going to pray and I'm going to ask God to make this really, really clear for you guys so that you might walk out of here with a new depth of clarity. So Father, I do, I just come to you in the name of Jesus and I ask Lord for you to send your spirit this morning as we're here in this place so that he would move this room and move hearts in this room and move our our wills in this room so that we might hear from you and know, Lord, have we repented? Have we not repented? Where are we at with you? And I ask, God, that you would use this story which every tongue and tribe and nation you've you've told this story for us in your Bible so that we might see, hear, and follow you, Lord Jesus. So I ask God that you would do that this morning in your kindness and in your grace. Amen. So I remember the first time I heard Jesus's voice and turned from my wicked ways. You guys have heard, uh, if you've been around in any uh, amount of time, and you've heard me say that I was saved from a life of debauchery and People always give me a hard time about that, but I can't like share details about my life before Jesus because I just can't. That's that's the worst. The, the nicest I can say it is the '80s were not good to me, <laughs> and um, especially 1987 through '89. They were the worst, and um, and I just use that term debauchery because it's like the movie Animal House and you know National Lampoon's movies from the '80s. That's that was my life. Um, and I, I would actually like for you to like, try and explain what debauchery is to your kids. I would like to hear how you do that. But I'll help you. I'll give you some synonymous terms. Degeneracy, corruption, turpitude, <laughs> depravity, perversion, iniquity, lechery. These are great words. But simply put, if you were to walk into a room with 19-year-old Glenn, you would turn around and walk out of that room. That's just what my life was. Uh, Left behind me was a wake of people, alcohol, uh, fast cars, motorcycles, this false sense of invincibility. But the thing that I was doing was I was leading people to sin with my life, with my actions, with my words. I was leading people to sin, and I was dwelling in darkness. That's where I was at. But when I was 21, I saw a great light. I saw Jesus. I heard his words follow me. And I was at a church service because God wrestled me and won and got me to this church service. And this pastor did what they call an altar call where they have a place up front where you can come and kneel and pray. And he kind of gave me some instruction on how to pray. So I'm up there. I had just heard the gospel and he instructed me to open my hands and place all the sins that I had committed into my hands in a symbolic nature of repentance. And so I started to do that. And you have to understand that twice he interrupted me because I was taking so long. I, there was a lot of sins. Like, my hands wasn't really the proper tool to put them in. It was like a 16 cubic yard dump truck would have probably been better because of the carnage that I had caused. But I was dying under the weight of my sin. And he wanted me to symbolically place that into my hands. And then he further instructed me when, when you've given them to Jesus, turn your hands down. And it's a symbol that you've given them to Jesus. So again, just doing this hard work and hearing God's voice. And in that moment, I heard the voice of Jesus, follow me. I will take your sin. I will take the things that you've done that have hurt people on myself at the cross. And the fact that he said, follow me, I'll I'll never understand why he chose to say those words to me, at least on this earth. But this is repentance. We hear God's voice and we move toward him. We drop what we've done. We drop good. We drop bad. We follow him. Jesus simply said to James and John and Peter, he said, follow me. And immediately they left their nets, they left their boats, they left their earthly father, and they followed him. It's a simple story that that God uses to explain the verses before. The land of Zebulun, the land of Naphtali, the way of the sea beyond the Jordan, the Galilee of the Gentiles. He's talking to us, people dwelling in darkness. Like this is the beginning of the gospel. We're dwelling in darkness. Just because my story is, um, has the word debauchery attached to it, yours may not, but we're dwelling in darkness. Like we need Jesus without him. If he doesn't speak to us, we don't be, we're not saved. For those dwelling in the region in the shadow of death, this is our life without Jesus, death, darkness. But he says, a great light has shone, has dawned on them. Then Jesus says, from that time, he began to preach, saying, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. So turn and, and follow me. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. Jesus' light, the, the, the beauty, the power of Jesus is there. It's at hand Repent, turn, and follow. And then he gives these two stories of this is what repentance is. He says, follow me. And what did they do? They dropped their nets, followed him. They left their father and followed him. So in this story, who are you? Are you one of the disciples that has dropped your nets? Good, bad, whatever. You see Jesus, you hear his voice. He's better than anything, and you follow him. Or are you Zebedee? Zebedee is the father who is there, and everyone around him is repenting. Everyone else around him dropped their nets. Everyone else around them followed Jesus when he said, follow me. But Zebedee didn't. I don't know if he, Jesus didn't extend the call to him. I don't know if he was in his heart like somebody's got to take care of this business, so I'm going to stay behind. You guys go off and do the thing. But for whatever reason, we, we see Zebedee doesn't go. He's there with his nets and his boat, and his business. So who are you in this story? And lastly, can you believe that a holy God who is inaccessible by nature because of his holiness would say to us, follow me? He would give that invitation for us to follow him. Has repentance hit you in this way? Has it hit your will, like your decisions and your actions? Is that where repentance has hit you? But the point is this without jesus calling to you without him saying follow me repentance isn't going to happen right without his voice calling to us we cannot drop our nets we cannot leave our boats and it gets even worse let's talk about this kingdom of light kingdom of darkness thing there's an assumption made in the bible and that assumption is that we constantly need to repent and follow jesus all of life is repentance, according to Martin Luther. So initially, we drop our nets, we follow Jesus. But then along the way, we look down in our hands and there's nets in there. There's sin in there. We need to drop them again to do what? To follow Jesus. All of life is, is repentance. But without his voice calling to us, our will can't be changed. Our, our, the nets are going to be stuck to our hands because we can't, let them go. So when you think of repentance, let's just think of like what, how it's been defined for you. Is it only turning from like some bad habits? Is it don't smoke, don't chew, don't look at porn, don't lie, don't murder? In other words, just do a bunch of stuff, get into a room, be holy, and sit in there, and that's what repentance is. Is it just merely action or under that, are you trying to make yourself accessible or, or or sorry acceptable to God by your actions? This is really, really dangerous. There is a part of repentance that is dangerous if we do it outside of hearing the voice of God. For instance, get yourself together. It's like a country song. Put on a smile, clean yourself up outwardly, then find others who have done the same thing and watch and high-five each other as your circle of morality gets smaller and smaller and tighter so it's much more tight than anyone else's circle of morality, right? This is what we sometimes think of when it comes to repentance. Man, I should not do this. I shouldn't lie. So you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to not lie, but I'm not following Jesus in it. I'm doing it because there's other people around me that if they hear me do that, they're going to yell at me. Repentance is hearing the voice of Christ say, follow me, then dropping your nets. Repentance, everyone here, repentance is spiritual warfare. We're talking kingdom of darkness, kingdom of light. A change of will is a supernatural act. It's not something that you can do on your own. They dropped their nets because they heard Jesus' voice, not because they're really good at dropping their nets. Kingdom of light versus kingdom of darkness. They are under the kingdom of darkness when Jesus calls to them. The kingdom of darkness that you and I are under, it's not going to respond to logic. It's not going to respond to science. It's not going to respond to more words, more plans, arguments, and debates. If you merely think that you can clean up your life and look like a Christian and turn from sin to Jesus on your own power... That is the kingdom of darkness. That's the kingdom of darkness talking to you. The kingdom of darkness responds and only responds to the voice and the power of God. Not your voice, not your power, not your actions. I want for you guys to understand the dangerous problem of repenting outside of Jesus. The Pharisees did that. And you want to see Jesus get riled up? He was talking to the Pharisees who are just doing this stuff to please each other. In John, uh, believe, 10, he talks about, you're not seeking the glory from God, you're seeking glory from one another. They had just whittled down sin or their own rules, keeping their own rules in their group, and they were looking for glory from one another. And Jesus is like, this is, this is bad. Martin Luther says this, to quote him again, even the law, God's law, in and of itself, which is the most salutary, which is a word that means beneficial, doctrine of life. It's the most beneficial doctrine of life, God's law. It cannot advance humans on their way to righteousness, but rather it hinders them. Oh, hinders them. Another way to say this is repentance doesn't start with us dropping our nets and stopping sin. It starts with Jesus' voice saying, follow me. So if you're busy cleaning up your life to look like you have repentance, Jesus says you're in a really dangerous spot because it's based on emotionalism. It's based on, like, this is my thoughts. This is what I think needs to happen. I'm trying to please others. I'm trying to gain something from someone else. We need to have Jesus' voice speak into our lives so that we can respond with our actions so that our will is changed. You're like, Glenn, but the the Bible is filled with law. It's filled with ways to please God. Well, let let me tell you what the Bible says about what I'm saying. Romans 5 says, now the law came in to increase the trespass. Well, that doesn't sound good. Romans 7, 9, I was once alive apart from the law, but then when the commandment came, sin came, it came alive, and I died. For the law of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from what? The law of sin and death. Sin and death is the law. 2 Corinthians 3, the written code kills. But the spirit gives life. Romans three twenty through 22 sums it up. For by works of the law, no human being will be justified in his sight. Since through the law comes knowledge of sin... But now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law. Although the law and the prophets bear witness to it, the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ is for all who believe. Jesus needs to speak. That's when things change. It's his power that comes and empowers us to drop our nets. The law, thou shalt quit for the addict. Just stop it. You've heard this said before. Somebody who is stuck in habitual sin, just, just stop it. That law is quite right and true. They need to stop it. It's the most beneficial doctrine of life, right? However, it does not realize its aim, but only makes matters worse. It deceives the addict by arousing pride and so becomes a defense mechanism against the truth. The law's finishing work is to expose sin and weakness and indeed makes it worse. This is what the law does. We need Jesus. We need his voice and his power in the spirit. The law surrenders its hold on us only when Jesus speaks to us and says things like, follow me. Then something inside of us wants to hold out to the very last for the addict to get it all together, and it it won't happen. It cannot happen. That's from Gerhard Ford. So Jesus sovereignly enters the disciples' life and he says these simple words that demonstrate repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. He says this, he says, follow me. And immediately they dropped their nets and they followed him. They're running their business. This is not a bad thing. They're not stuck in some habitual sin, at least that we can see. Maybe they were cheating, I don't know how you cheat as a fishing company, but Maybe they were doing that. It doesn't say that, but what they were doing was they were doing something that was good. They had a business that was possibly thriving. And Jesus says, I'm better than that, follow me. Even that, I'm better. See, Repentance, a lot of times when we're in the middle of repentance, we're thinking I'm doing this because I'm just trying to do good things to earn God's favor. And he's saying, no, leave the good things and follow me. If he does not speak, though, we are not saved. If he does not move, we are not helped. So, with that in mind, let's look at like some aspects of biblical repentance. Um, biblical repentance, I think, what you're seeing when you see biblical repentance and when you see these markers is you're seeing a unification of the Spirit working in your in your life. So I was watching this, um, this Eagles, they were doing like their final tour, the Eagles, the band, and um, they have so many good songs, and they had kind of hit this last part of their, their tour, their concert, and they were all sitting down on these stools, and they were playing uh, songs like Tequila Sunrise and uh, Hotel California, of course. And so they panned across all these guys, and they're all just in the, this acoustic you know, kind of mentality. They're just chilled. They all have their guitars sitting on stools, one down to the other. And then it comes to the bass player. And the bass player is so out of sync with the rest of them. He's got this, like, man-splayed, man-spread. Like, he's just, like, rocking out. And it was gross. He had on, like, these really tight stonewashed jeans, which, if you don't even know what that is, it's just kind of gross, 19 eighty-nine or whatever, and this guy's wearing it and he's just like got this rocker stance with the rest of them doing this kind of folk music thing and it looked completely out of place. It looked gross. Like we're talking Kingdom of Darkness here. This is what this guy was doing. So when you have the spirit move on you and, and Jesus's voice move on you and you don't repent, it's like that. It's like there's unification and all of a sudden there's just like this gross God's opposition to this guy. And what we see in the, in the Bible is when, when God speaks, he says, follow me. When we follow, there's unification. And it's beautiful. And it's called repentance. Um, I'll talk about it in the context of, of David and who wrote a ton of the Psalms. And the context for Psalm 51 is that uh, in 2 Samuel 11... This guy comes to David and starts to share this story with David about what David had been doing. So what David had been doing was basically he had coveted someone else's wife, Uh, he had lied, and then he sent her husband up to the front lines to be killed in, in battle. So he basically murdered. So coveted, murdered, there's quite a few commandments that he broke right in that area, But this guy, Nathan, comes to him and starts talking about, yeah, this guy, he purchased this ewe lamb, and he cared for this lamb, and he loved this lamb. And then this other guy who was rich came and stole this lamb from this guy and then had this guy killed, and David just became enraged. He was like, this guy needs to die. And then the the mic drop line of the entire Bible when Nathan says, you are the man. You're the guy that I'm talking about. So there's a couple of ways to go. If David had not heard God's voice in that moment, he would have been like, well, I'm king of Israel. I've done done far, much more good for the nation of Israel than I have bad. Um, Is is this the totality of my entire time here? You know, he would just fight and blame and move in this way, and it would look like the bass player in the Eagles. Just gross and not right. But he doesn't do that. Psalm 51.4, listen to how David responds against you. He's talking to God. You only have I sinned and I've done what's evil in your sight so that you may be justified in your words and blameless in your judgments. David agreed with God. So one of the first markers of biblical repentance is confession. And confession is simply this. I agree with God. I agree with him of what I've done. We're not making any kind of uh, blame. We're not making any excuses. We're saying, I, I agree. So here's a question to ask first God and then people around you. If you're in repentance, if you're in, you've heard Jesus' voice, the first question is, Lord, how have I sinned against you? How have I offended you? And to ask him to hear from him because he's justified in his words. He's blameless in his judgment. That's the heart of someone who's contrite and humble and broken. Like, how have I sinned against you? Then take that to people that are around you and ask the same question. How have I sinned against you? How have I hurt you? What, tell, tell me more about that. That's a contrite heart. Um, and just as a, I don't know, as a, a pastor, be careful with this phrase, I'm sorry that you feel that way. Right? One, it's it's not biblical to say, I'm sorry that you feel that way, but two, it just invalidates where that person who just told you how you sinned against them. It it, it invalidates what they're thinking and what they're saying and the pain that you may have caused them. So the first part of it is confession, Lord, and someone else, how have I sinned against you? It's just a marker of biblical repentance. And that gives way to the next natural step is how have I sinned against you to will you forgive me, right? First uh, John says that when we confess our sins, God is faithful to forgive us. We ask, will you forgive me? The second marker of repentance is after confession is that we would seek forgiveness from someone. Ephesians 4, 31 through 32 says, let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you, right? So will you, how have I sinned against you? And then will you forgive me? Those are like the first two markers of what it means to be biblically repentant. Now I'm not saying go out right now and do these things, like muster up the ability to say, okay, how have I sinned against you? And will you forgive me? I'm saying, listen for the voice of Jesus in this. Is he leading you to ask God, like, how have, I forgi- how have I sinned against you? And is he leading you to people to ask that question? And is he leading you to people to say, man, I want to make recompense. Like, t- will you forgive me? Right? Because without Jesus' voice, it's just, it's not gonna be true repentance. But these are the... They get at the heart of humbling yourself and seeking to find forgiveness both with God and man. So I think sometimes we get confused with repentance and we leave it there. We say, well, I confessed and I asked for forgiveness and that's it. These guys dropped their nets. Okay, There's another part of repentance that we often overlook or forget or maybe we're not clear on. And I think it has to do with this plan to move forward in making restitution, okay? So here's what I mean by that. Luke 19.8, there's this dude Zacchaeus who met Jesus. When he met Jesus, he got saved, and he said to the Lord Jesus, behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor, and if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I restore it fourfold. So he was a tax collector. He had defrauded some people, And he was willing to say, I'm going to give back four times what I have given or what I've taken from people in a fraudulent way. It's a plan to make restitution. It's a plan to move forward and and it's a plan to not let this happen again. That's why Jesus says, cut off your right arm. It's better that you walk around with a nub on the right side of your body than for your whole soul to go to hell. Because part of repentance is this plan to move forward and make restitution. See, people who have heard the voice of Jesus, they catch this idea. Matthew, Zacchaeus, anyone who has heard uh, Jesus say, follow me, they are cut to the quick. And I want to build trust up with God. I want to build trust up with you guys. Even if it takes a lot of time, it takes my currency and all of that. Cut off your hand. The plan first goes to God and then to men. Does that make sense? So you have confession, agreeing with God or agreeing with someone else that you have hurt them, which gives way to then asking them, will you forgive me? Seeking forgiveness according to Ephesians and then making a plan of restitution to move forward so that this doesn't happen again to build up trust with people. It's biblical repentance. And what it brings, what it yields is incredible. Peace and fruit. Romans 14, 17 says that the kingdom of God is, is joy and peace and righteousness in the Holy Spirit. And that's what this yields. I'll just give you a, an illustration of how this works in, in my house. So a couple of months ago, uh, Lori, my wife, took our oldest daughter. She was in Michigan for a couple of weeks, and then I was with the younger two girls. And apparently we, like, parent differently or something. I don't know. But, but when we came back together, there was what I would call kind of a turbulent re-entry. And that's like Pearl, my oldest, and Geneva, the middle one, kind of coming back into um, talking to each other and interacting with each other. And for some reason, uh, the first 24 hours, it just became like Lord of the Flies with those two. Um, you know how guys... Like if they get mad at each other, they'll kind of punch each other. Well, these girls were doing that UFC thing, but they were doing it girl style. So it's like they were snipping at each other and kind of undermining each other and just kind of cutting each other down and and all of that. And it just got to the point where I was just like, okay, stop. Just stop. It was so frustrating. And I said, go to your rooms. Everybody chill out for a minute, and we're going to regather. So we regathered in my room. And uh, I asked him to come in, and I said, okay, here's the thing that needs to happen. First question do you ask each other is, how have I sinned against you? And they're like, all right. So they asked, how have I sinned against you? Well, you said this, and it was really hurtful, and you were snooty toward me, and, and all of that. I'm like, okay. Second question is, will you forgive me for that? So they'd ask, yes, I will. Great. How can we move forward and not have this happen again? Well, I can like listen more and and all of that. So did that. So the youngest one went first, then the older one, how have I sinned against you? Will you forgive me for that? Right? And in that room entered peace and joy and righteousness in the Holy Spirit. It was beautiful. We were in there just like celebrating the fact that there was no more war. It was done. They had heard and listened to each other and understood where each other was at. And you can expect to have like, peace and righteousness and joy in the Holy Spirit when you do this. And then lastly, I was like, okay, set him down. I'm like, I'm your dad. How did I sin against you? Well, you yelled. I'm like, yeah, I did. Will you forgive me for that? How can we do this? How can we move forward so that I gain your trust? Right? When you start doing that, guys, it will bring peace. It will bring joy. It will bring health. It will bring fun. It will be restorative because we're following Jesus. This is where he wants to take us. So the question really comes down to, have you heard the voice of Jesus say, follow me? Follow me in this. Get specific. Lord, how have I sinned against you? Where do you want me to follow you now? Where do you want me to change? How do you want me to have my thinking be different? Where do you want my heart to be, Lord? And secondly, have you dropped your nets? Or are you still looking in your hands and you're like, man, this is still here. Stuff that I haven't dropped. Some people say, man, I, I've tried Jesus, it doesn't work. Jesus is not something to be tried. He's king. He's Lord. He's Lord. He is Savior. He is Redeemer. He's someone to be followed. That's why he says, follow me. He's above all earthly powers. He dwells in unapproachable light. His thoughts are not your thoughts. They're not my thoughts. He gives eternal life because he is eternal life. You follow him, you get eternal life because that's who he is, alive forevermore, the Bible says about him. Revelation 1 12 through 18 talks about Jesus, uh, talks about his voice. This is from John who walked with Jesus. He's one of the guys in this story that dropped his nets and followed Jesus. Then I turned and I, to see the voice that was speaking to me. And on turning, I saw seven golden lampstands. And in the midst of the lampstands, one like a son of man, but clothed with a long robe and a golden sash around his chest. The hairs of his head were white like wool and like snow. His eyes were like a flame of fire. His feet were like burnished bronze refined in a furnace. And his voice was like the roar of many waters. In his right hand he held seven stars. And from his mouth came a sharp two-edged sword. And his face was like the sun shining in full strength. And when I saw him... I fell at his feet as though dead. But he laid his right hand on me saying, Fear not, I am the first and the last and the living one. I died and behold, I am alive forevermore and I have the keys to death and Hades. I've had several people in my life tell me, when I meet Jesus, I got something to, I got something to say to him. No. No. When you and I see Jesus, we're going to become like dead men and women. Fall on our face as though dead. This is our Savior. Out of his mouth comes something like a two-edged sword, and that two-edged sword says, follow me. Follow me. In his hand is a scepter and, and angels who are are, are beings, supernatural beings. They cover their face with their wings when they're in his presence. This is Jesus. This is the one who says, follow me. This is the one whom we worship, the one whom we bow our knees to, the one whom we will fall dead before when we meet him. Do you guys understand this, that this voice that spoke to creation The kingdom of darkness is there. The spirit of the Lord was hovering over what? The darkness. How did the darkness go away? His voice. He spoke into the darkness. And uh, John says that everything that came into being came into being through Jesus. He made everything. It's his voice that created. His voice that when he says, follow me, it dispels darkness, gives you the ability to drop your nets, gives you the ability to leave your family, gives you the ability to leave whatever it is, good or bad, to follow him and to bring glory to him. Repent. Why? Because Jesus is here. The kingdom of heaven is here. So I'm going to have our worship teams and our response teams come up and take your places. And I want for us to spend a few minutes responding to him. First question I have is, what is in your hands? Is that netting? Is it fish? Is it boat that you're hanging on to? What's in your hands? And more importantly, are you hearing Jesus' voice saying, follow me? Has repentance hit you in such a place that you have heard him, and it's hit your will? It's hit the very core of what you want to do, desires of your life. How attractive is that voice of Jesus saying, follow me? So we're going to take some communion here. And um, what I want us to think about during this time of communion is looking down and, and asking, so I'm holding this bread and I'm holding this cup. What is in your hands? Is it net or is it Jesus? Is it, are you following him in his death and in his work on the cross for you? Or are you following something else? What's keeping you from dropping your nets to carrying Jesus, holding Jesus? The Bible says that on the night when Jesus was betrayed, that he broke bread and he poured this cup and he did it to signify the death that he died for us. So when he broke this bread, he was signifying his own body being broken. And when he poured the cup, he was signifying his blood being poured out for you to redeem you, to give you eternal life, to show you his redemptive power over anything that's in your life. So go to Jesus and, and take it to him. And then when you take the bread and you take the cup, you're, you're simply celebrating the fact that he has died for you. And ask those questions. How have I sinned against you? Will you forgive me? How can I make restitution in this? As a result, I know there's a lot there, and I'm glad that there's a lot there because I'm hoping that it'll force you to just run to Jesus, flee to Him, talk to Him about where you're at in repentance, talk to Him about where you're at in following Him as your Lord and your Savior. Let me pray over you guys. Father, I thank you for Jesus and his holiness, his power, his beauty. Father, uh, you're mysterious to me just in the fact that you had Jesus come to people at Redeemer Church and and have spoken to them saying, follow me. It's such grace, it's such love, it's such mercy, it's such uh, plan that I don't understand. It's mysterious to me. But Lord, I'm so happy, I'm so joy-filled that you did it. So I ask, God, that you would help us, help us, Lord, to hear your voice, help us to follow you, help us to drop our nets, help us to be loved by you and to love you as the greatest commandment in our lives. We pray this in the name of Jesus, through the Spirit. Amen.